0: Okay, so we are uh, continuing on a series, and the series is called 2020 Vision, and we have uh, we've begun looking ahead at 2020, uh, where we're headed as a church, where we're headed as individuals, and kind of how we can engage in that. And so last week, um, we started with the question, why? Why do we do what we do? Why do we believe what we believe? And hopefully on your way in, you got a bracelet. Did you guys get bracelets on your, on your way in? Okay, cool. Uh, it says, Jesus changes everything. And if you weren't here last week, that's where we concluded. It was the reason why we do what we do and we believe what we believe is because Jesus has, has changed the world. Um, he has changed the way that we view the world and that we view God, and he has changed not only billions of people's lives, but he's changed our life. And so we, we really, at the end of the day, um, believe that Jesus kind of, he changes everything. And so we have, a, we have some bracelets for you to take with you throughout the year, and we're going to have tons of those um, available. So if you didn't get one, you can grab one. And I think we have backgrounds available on Instagram and things like that so you can put on your phone, because here's the truth, is you look at your phone more than you look at your kids so uh we thought that would be a good place to put that little reminder is as a backdrop on your phone okay so make sure you you download that and uh yeah okay so here's um there's a moment recorded in the scriptures in the book of matthew and it kind of uh, is the moment that the disciples realize that jesus changes everything it's this realization that they have that the game has changed with jesus arrival and so what's taking place is jesus is having conversation with his disciples and as he's talking to them he says you know A lot of people are talking about me in the streets. What have you been hearing about me? Who do people say that I am? Disciples think, well, you know, they're not exactly sure who you are. They have some ideas, and they start naming off some some people, some uh, biblical characters. They say, yeah, you're kind of like them, but we're not exactly sure how you fit into this picture. There's something special about you, and a lot of people believe that you were sent by God, but they don't know exactly who you are or what you're about. And so then he, he kind of turns the conversation he says, okay, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And so we're going to pick up that story in Matthew 16, verse 15. There's what he says. He says, who do you say that I am? And if you know any of the Bible characters, you know any of the disciples, we, we've just come to, uh, come to see that Peter's going to be the one to answer the question, right? He just can't help himself. And so he says, um, you are the, and this is a really important word, Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, this word Messiah, this is, this is a really big confession that uh, Peter is stating here. Because he says that you are the one that we have been waiting for. That all of human history has been pointing towards the arrival of the Messiah. And we believe that you are him. You are the Savior of the world. That you are somehow the unique Son of God. And so he, he makes this big confession And uh, what he's really saying here is, Jesus, we believe that you're the one that's going to come and fix, fix everything that's broken. And whether you're a church person or not, whether you believe in God or you don't, whatever your belief is, I bet you that we can find common cause in the fact that you think that the world is messed up, right? I have yet to meet someone who goes, no, man, it's perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. Things are going great. No, 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 no. You you think that the world is is messed up and it needs fixing. The only thing that we disagree about is how or who can fix it. And Jesus arrives and he says, the world's broken. We all agree. But I'm the only one that's going to be able to truly fix this. Because all of human history has been waiting for my arrival. And so it's in that moment that they realize, okay, Jesus has arrived and he's about to change everything. And then he begins to give some insight into how he's going to do it. Verse 18 says this, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, rock, what are you talking about on this rock? Well, the rock is this, this statement that was just made, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the savior of the world. And so on this huge statement that you just made and on the faith of the disciples, I'm going to do something really special. Here's what I'm going to do. Next slide is, it says, I will, on the rock, build my church. Now, you and I, when we hear the word church, we have this, this image that comes in mind. Maybe it's a building, it's a place, it's what we're doing right now is we're coming to church. But when they heard this word church, they didn't think of any of those things. The original in the Greek is ekklesia. And when they heard ekklesia, it wasn't a religious word. It was uh, just a normal word that was describing a gathering of people, a congregation, And so he says, there is going to be this gathering of people. They're going to come together and they're going to be united in this single belief that I am the Messiah, that I'm the son of God. And this movement, it's going to transform the world. In fact, this movement is going to become so big and so transformative that nothing is going to be able to stop it. He says this, he says, not even the gates of Hades will overcome it. There's gonna be dictators, there's gonna be persecution, there's gonna be governments, there's gonna be division. Everything is gonna be set up in opposition to try to stop this movement and nothing is going to be able to stop it. Now think of the context. Jesus is saying that there's gonna be this movement like we've never seen in human history and that he's telling 12 guys who have no power, no influence, and they're thinking, change, what are you talking about? This is gonna change the world? He says, yep, I'm claiming it here and now that I am going to start this movement. It's going to transform the world. Now, very shortly after this, Jesus is arrested. He's tried. He's convicted. And he's hung on a cross where he dies. And you have to imagine that the disciples are going, well, that movement didn't work out. This thing got to stop before it even started. But then three days later, something Miraculous happens is he raises from the dead. And there's hundreds of people who claim to have witnessed him, people who were followers of him, people who didn't believe in him. All of these people would testify that they saw Jesus rise from the dead three days later. And during the, that time where he's, uh, he's appearing to people, he appears to the disciples and he has a conversation with them. He says, look, I'm about to leave pretty soon. And I'm going to go back to where I came from, to, to the Father. But before I do, do you remember that whole church thing that we had talked about? Okay, I'm going to give you a little insight into what that needs to look like. And so he says this, kind of his famous last words in Matthew 28. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. (laughs) He's kind of setting the tone for the conversation. He says, what we're about to talk about next, I need you to just put it into context of who I am. That I am the king over all creation. That I have authority to do and to say whatever I want Because I'm the Savior of the world and I'm the King of all creation. This kind of reminds me of the scene, and you probably have seen it before. Maybe it's been 20 years since you've seen it, but it's this uh, scene in The Lion King. Great movie. Lion King, where they are. Uh, if you don't know the Lion King, well, where have you been, first of all? But if you don't know the Lion King, uh, it's the story of Simba, and he is the one that's supposed to inherit the throne. But he ends up kind of getting kicked out of his kingdom, and his uncle Scar takes over, destroys everything. It's a mess. And there's this scene where uh, they're looking for Simba, and they can't find him anywhere. And then this baboon is uh, Rafiki. Says name. Don't act like you don't know his name. You know his name. I was testing you, and you're like, oh. Well, it was a kid's movie Rafiki uh, he says as they're looking for Simba he's not here the king has returned home and so then we see the next scene where he's coming back and he's gonna fight scar and he ends up defeating him and he takes the throne back that is rightfully his and then he brings hope and healing and restoration and a new creation into the land that has been destroyed now I don't want to say that Disney stole that story from somewhere but it does sound very familiar because <laughs> that's the story that, that Jesus says that he's come to tell. Is He says, I'm the king of creation. Things have gone just out of whack and I've come to restore what is broken. The king is coming and he's going to sit on his throne. So he says, remember, I'm the king of creation. So here's what I get, I'm going to tell you next. He says this next. He says this. He says, therefore, go and make... This is a key word, disciples of all the nations. Now, disciples, notice that he didn't say, I go, I go and make Christians. Because let's be honest, we don't really know what a Christian is. Because you can say you're a Christian and you can believe just about anything, right? He says, no, 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 I want you to go and I want you to make, and this is very specific, disciples. Because disciples has a, a well defined definition. Disciple is somebody who is an adherent, a pupil, a learner, a follower. And so if you're a disciple, you have to ask the question, if Jesus were in the same situation I'm in, what would he do? If he was trying to decide what he's going to do with this relationship, with, this, with, this, with my schedule, with the money, I have to ask, what would he do if he were in my shoes? And whatever he would do is what I'm going to do. If I like it or not, it doesn't matter. Whatever the answer is that he would do is what I'm going to do. That's what it means to be a disciple. And so he says to go and make disciples. And then he gives us just a little bit of a clue of how to do this. He says, go and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. continues on, it says, and teaching them to, there it is. Oh, no, well, ah, I'll read it for myself. No, okay. Uh, Baptizing the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so he says this. He says, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to create this thing called the church. And the church is going to be the method that I use to bring salvation to the world. You know what this means, right? He says, you and I are going to be the thing that he uses in order to save the world. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like a lot of responsibility. And I'm not sure, knowing myself, I would entrust me with anything close to that. My wife barely lets me walk out of the house without checking to see what I'm wearing first so that I do not embarrass her and the rest of the family. She doesn't trust me to dress myself. I'm not sure if I would trust me to, I don't know, save the world. And yet Jesus says, no, this is the way that I'm going to do it. It's going to be through people like you and me who are going to go into the world with this message of salvation And he says, don't worry as you go because, let's see if we can get it this time, because, there we go. Surely, I'm with you always to the very end of age. As you go out there, good news is it's not dependent on you because I'm gonna walk with you. I'm gonna be with you. In fact, I'm gonna send you this helper. It's gonna be called the Holy Spirit and he's gonna empower you as you go out and you bring this message into the world. And the next thing he does is he leaves. Peace out, I'm gone. And for the last 2,000 years, The church has had this mission, is we have this message that we're supposed to bring out into the world, and no matter what has happened through the last 2,000 years, whatever obstacles and opposition and persecution, division, corruption, whatever has taken place, and it seems like the movement is going to stop, it's finally going to be shut down, it continues on. Just as Jesus had predicted, the movement keeps moving, and it keeps growing, and it keeps transforming the world. And so now it's our turn. Every generation has to pick up this mantle and say, okay, now we're going to own this mission. This is going to be ours. We're going to take this into the world. And we take this responsibility very seriously. I think one of the reasons I I, I personally take this serious is because I have come to realize how incredibly short life is. I know it's a cliche, but we really are here today and gone tomorrow. And if we're being honest, and we try to avoid this realization or the inevitable, but if we're being honest, all the things that we spend our life working towards and working on one day will be gone and forgotten. I know this is depressing, but this is reality, right? Is within just a couple generations, unless you're somebody incredibly special, within a couple of generations, people won't even know your name. And that's kind of a scary thought, is to think, I spend my entire life working towards something that nobody will ever remember. It will be gone and forgotten. It's kind of one of the reasons why I believe in Jesus is because he gives us these words of eternal life that he promises us that there is something after this. And so we can actually have an impact in people's lives that is going to last for eternity. And so he says, if you want to actually live a life that matters that lasts just beyond your lifetime. you got to partner with me. The only thing in the end that's going to make sense, the only thing that's going to matter is what you did with me. Did you know me? Did you love me? Did you have a relationship with me? And did you make me known in the world? Because that, in the end, is the only thing that's going to matter. And Christians have taken this seriously. It's what has motivated uh, countless missionaries to go throughout the world, and they've given up their wealth and safety and security and comfort, even their very lives, in order to bring this message into the world. And it's really the heartbeat of this church is we wanna take this command seriously. We wanna be people who have lived lives that matter. And so part of the vision of this church is we wanna create a place that no matter where you are in your faith journey, no matter what you believe, what you've done, where you've been, you're welcome here. Because ultimately, we wanna introduce you to somebody who we know can change your life because he's done it before and he continues to do it. And so for our remaining time, I wanna give you a little insight into how this works, because uh, last week we talked about why, and and Jesus just gave us a little bit of insight into what. See, our why is Jesus changes everything. Our what is, so we need to go and make disciples, but how do we do that? And if you'll notice, he didn't give us a ton of insight, and so we kind of have to look at how did Jesus make disciples, And, and that's really how we're attempting to make disciples as well. And So our process is simple. It's come in, build up, and go out, it seemed to be what Jesus did. He invited people to come into a relationship with him and be a part of uh, his crew. He built them up. He said, here's what it looks like to follow me and to believe what I believe. And then he, he sent them out. He said, go out into the world and bring this message to others. And so that's kind of what we try to do. And so that's our simple process. We're not, we're not all that smart around here, right? Maybe you are. I'm not. And so we just try to make it really simple. Come in, build up, go out. And so let me just talk you through these really quick. The first one is come in is we want to have a big, open front door here. We want as many people to come in a- a- as we can. Again, I don't care what you believe. I don't care where you've been. I don't even care what you're up to. You can come in here, and you're welcome. You can ask questions. You can explore faith. You can just figure out if we're hypocrites or not. Um, if we, we just want you to come and to check this thing out. And ultimately, yes, I'm not going to hide it, As ultimately I want you to come to believe in Jesus. That's, that's our end goal but you can sit here as long as you want and try to decide if this thing's legit or not. The other thing is, is uh, I guess how we do this is through the weekend gatherings. It's what we're doing here and what we're doing right now is, is we just allow people to come into this community and to just hear the gospel and experience what it is to be a part of God's family. And, and so if you're a visitor, here's the good news. You found a place that was created for you. Is You are not only welcome, you're the reason why we do this. You're like a big part of why we spend so much time and energy and resources trying to make this a great place. is because we want you to come and check this out. And so th- there's, a, there's those of us who um, maybe aren't visiting, but we would consider ourselves part of the SCG family, that this is our, this is our home. And so I just want to remind you of a couple things. Uh, one, if this is your home, this is your church, these are your people, is one, I'm excited. I just love being a part of this community. I've come to realize how important this community is in my own life, and maybe this is a little bit selfish, but it's the reason why I just continue to push forward and continue to go on is because I just love the life change that I get to see here and I get to be a part of. But the other is this, and I want to remind you of a story, and you know the story. It's the story of the prodigal son. Very, very simple story. If you're not a church person, it goes like this. There is this young man. He decides to rebel against his father. He runs away from home. He realizes he's made a mistake. He decides to come back home. And the father, instead of dismissing him, comes with welcome arms and says, welcome home, prodigal. That's what we do. We want to welcome home prodigals. People who are far away from God, we come and we say, welcome home. And then, yes, and then you know what happens? You know what happens after that? is they throw a party. And <laughs> we love to party around here, right? And so, and so they threw a big party welcoming home this prodigal, and we hope to throw lots of parties, and I think we do a decent job at it. And so we throw these big parties welcoming home prodigals. Now, here's the part that I need you to remember if you're a seacoaster. At this party, you are a host, not a guest. <laughs> I know, I know. You can see where this is going, can't you? You know where this is going. See, you're a host at this party. This is your home, remember? This is your family. We've invited guests in here. And so we got to remember that we are hosts at this party. We're not guests. I think the difference between a host and a guest is ownership. The the host of the party feels the responsibility, feels the weight of when the guests arrive, I want you to feel welcome. I want you to love this place. I want you to be entertained and have fun. I'm going to clean up messes. I'm going to pay for the party. You know, all those things, right, is is the host feels the responsibility to make sure the party goes well. And so if you're a sea coaster, that's your job. Your job is not just to show up and to watch, your job is to show up and to work. Now, I'm not saying you can't watch, of course you can. In fact, that might be a part of what you do here, is you're engaged, you show up on time. That's, I know, that's crazy. You show up on time, and you're coming in here, and you're bringing energy to the service, and you're throwing out a couple amens. And you See, you're listening, there we go. You're laughing at Doyle's lame jokes. You're doing whatever, right? You're, you're engaged. You're ready to go because because you know that there are people who are sitting around you going, now, is this place okay or not? Do these people actually want to be here? What is, what's the story? It also means you got to show up, right? Who doesn't show up to their own party? That's a really bad host. So that means we got to be here because even though there might be those moments where I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. My kids are being in pain, blah, 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 blah. Ah, oh, man, i got to welcome home some prodigals today, so i got to get to church. <laughs> some of you guys are like, uh-uh. <laughs> That's, okay. That's okay. See, you're engaged already. We're doing it, man. We're making it. Okay, here we go. I'm going to run out of time. This is going to take all day. Okay. Uh, where was I? Um, all right, let's just go to the next one. Build-up is... Once we invite people to come in, explore faith, and hopefully come to know Jesus and this church family, we want to build them up. We want to build them up to believe in Jesus better, uh, more than they did before. We want to build them up in, in helping them love one another. And so, part of what we know that um, that happens in this phase is is we have to move from from rows. In, uh, for, uh, we know that, excuse me, we know that transformation happens in uh, circles, not rows. Is we know that the way real transformation is going to take place in your life and in mine is not by hearing another sermon. I get it. You will forget 95% of what I say today. It saddens me, right? And It makes me sad, but I get it. But where real transformation is going to take place is when you get face-to-face with other people and you have to start doing life together and working some things out. Because there are certain things in your life that you were not meant to do alone, and a faith journey is one of those things. So this week I had an experience, I think it was a Monday, where I realized that there are certain things that I should not do alone, one of which is uh, there are certain projects on my house that I shouldn't do alone. So if you don't know, I've been working on our house forever, and I got to, uh, I got to f- this next project, which is to work on the fireplace, and my wife wanted a mantle. She said, I don't like the fact that we have to look through the fireplace, and there's studs, and there's nothing there. I'm like, ah, you're so picky. And so we start, I started kind of laying it out what we want to do here, and and as I lay it out, I realize the thing that my wife wants it to look like, it's not gonna fit there. That the fireplace is up on a, about a foot kind of thing, it's up about a foot, and so it needs to be lowered down to the ground. So I tell her, hey, babe, it's not gonna work. And she looks at me like, well, then lower it. I'm like, <laughs> okay uh, sure let's give this thing a go you know and so I cut the wall open and I'm tearing everything apart and there's a, I kind of try to remove this fireplace insert and it's stuck because there's this ventilation and so I cut the ventilation I don't realize when I cut the ventilation the whole thing is going to come down to the ground and so 20 feet of venting comes down into the ground and I just go okay here we go all right so I take that I take it all apart and I realize I have a massive 20 foot double-walled vent that I have to reinstall by myself on the second story of my house. I get it up there, and I have not prayed that seriously in a long time. <laughs> I am praying, Lord, don't let me fall off this roof. If I die this way, that's, that's all I'm going to be remembered for. <laughs> oh, you mean the guy who's the Yeah, I know I know what you're talking about. Um, and so I finally get that thing in there. I am sweating. I am... And I get to the last piece, it's like a four foot section of metal venting, pretty heavy. And so I walk down and as I'm walking in, Amy catches me at the front door and she says, "Um, real quick, I have a question for you. Yeah, what's up? You know, I would love to go to Disneyland tonight. And I'm thinking, have I not suffered enough today? Why are you making me do this? She says, on a scale of one to 10, one being getting the stomach flu, how badly do you not want to go to Disneyland right now? I said, all right, you know what, let me just finish what I'm doing. I'm working all day on this thing. Let me finish it, then we can talk. So she's sitting on the couch, and she's watching me try to install this last big piece by myself. And I get it in place, and it's, I, think it's, I think it's stuck. I go to grab my drill, and as soon as I turn, that thing comes loose and just slices through my toe. It just comes, and I, I am convinced my toe is no longer there. And so I rip my, 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 my shoe off, my sock off, and I go, babe, is it still attached, or is it gone? And she looks at it, and it just, pow, there's explosion, blood everywhere, and she looks at it, and she goes, it's still attached. And then her, I swear to you, her next line was, if you didn't want to go to Disneyland, you could have just told me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, okay, all right, okay so I didn't have to go to Disneyland. That's kind of the moral of that story. Yeah, it was great. Because here's the thing, is I knew, I knew that I should not be doing this alone. I knew that it wasn't going to end well, and yet, because I am whatever, I decided to try it. Faith journey is the same way. If you're trying to do it alone, you're doing it wrong. You got to be in community. You got to be with other people. I get the opportunity to go, and, and one of the ways that we do this is through Rooted, and we have we do other things like CR and step studies and classes and things like that. Yes, and um, Rooted is is a, is pretty much I think probably a. We had like over 700 people do it this last session. It is probably one of the biggest and most transformative things that we do uh, as a church. And so I get to go throughout the weeks and visit different Rooted groups and just meet people and find out how it's going. And, and during this last session, I was walking around, and I saw this uh, young couple, and so I started talking to them, hey, how are you liking Rooted? And they were in Rooted 1.0's first session you've ever done this. What do you think? And, and they said, you know, we were a little bit hesitant to do this. We've been kind of holding, holding off for a while, and we finally jumped in. And I got to be honest, doing Rooted, especially this time in our life, has kept us sane. I said, well, tell me about that. What's going on? I said, you know, we've never been under more pressure and more stress, and it wouldn't have, and I'm not sure where we would end up if we weren't in Rooted. And so I said, hey, would you mind just this week, would you mind just coming and telling just a couple minutes of your story? And so they decided to do so, and so here it is. I I can't put it into words.
1: Like it, just the experience was awesome. I mean, we had talked forever about doing a small group and just, it was, it was, yeah.
2: I signed up first. I signed up for the women's group and I didn't think he was gonna be able to get all the Sundays off.
1: You and to the join. kids. join.
2: Yeah, I signed me and the kids up. And uh, the day that we were supposed to start, he's like, I'm doing it. The kids loved it. Every Sunday they say, do we get to go back to Rooted?
1: Blew my mind, like every Sunday we'd come home and like, he would teach me something that I didn't know. I... <laughs>
2: yeah. He would teach us his, his Bible studies, his stories, and yeah, it was great. We were introduced to these people, and all of a sudden, they knew us better than some of our closest friends. They knew everything about us, and we know everything, you know, a lot about them. And we prayed together, and cried together, and laughed together, and you know, broke bread after fasting together, and. They just became a family for us.
1: Decided it'd be fun to move back in with the in-laws and do a little remodel, which went sideways on us. Contractor walked away two weeks into Rooted.
2: But not only walked away from it, but also stole a lot of money from us.
1: Leaving us in a pretty bad situation. We have never felt this much stress, anger, frustration, just there's no doubt like we've talked about like rooted talking to people and like having their prayer and and just just meeting and and even talking like during the week we had a little group chat that that we had with the rest of the group just kept us up here instead of going down to a deep dark place
2: andrew one of the members of our group in particular happened to have an expertise of doing electrical work so he showed up how many times like maybe over 10 times to our house. He's
1: still showing up. He's still helping out. Uh, Yeah, One way or another, every person in the group like wanted to help and was just. Yeah,
2: and they did, everybody. Just just praying checking in and, you know, text messages. I mean, God told us to do Rooted. God put it on our hearts to join for sure. I think if we didn't have it, I don't want to think about where we could be right now.
0: So everybody has to has to be a part of a community, and if you're a person of faith, you need to be a part of the faith community because you never know what you're gonna what challenges you're gonna face or what other people are, are facing that you need to support them in. And so today is actually uh, the last weekend that you can sign up for this session of Rooted, and so if you're even considering doing it, you need to jump in. You need to be a part of that because it's gonna it's really gonna change the game. It's gonna change your life. Uh, I promise. I give a money back guarantee, and if you know you know how cheap I am, I that's hard for me to do. So. Um, jump in there today you can get some sign up cards on your way out in fact we we believe in this so much that um, as a church, this last fall, if you didn't know, we raised $1.8 million in order to convert our former auditorium into the community life center. Just a building where there's gonna be places that your groups can meet and hang out and do life together. And as a quick update, we're in the process of getting all the plans finished and meeting with contractors, and hopefully in the next couple weeks, we're gonna finally begin construction. And uh, so if you're giving to that project, keep giving to it. And if you wanna jump in on it, please jump in and uh, become a part of what we're doing there. So last thing is this is uh, go out. Very simple. This is pretty uh, pretty obvious when Jesus says, therefore go or go out and make disciples of all the nations. And so he says, you're going to go out in the world and you're going to bring this message of salvation. And here's what, if you do it right, or if you have any success, what's going to happen is you're going to go out and the whole thing is going to come full circle because you're going to go out. You're going to tell them about Jesus. They're going to want to know more. And so they're going to come in. They're going to come into this community. They're going to come into this church. Hopefully, they're going to come into a relationship with Jesus. And so the whole thing kind of comes full circle. And Jesus talks about this a little bit. There's a story in Luke 14, and um, I'll just give you the bullet points. Jesus is eating at a Pharisee's house. And so Jesus would hang out with whoever invites him, sinner, saint, doesn't matter. And so he's hanging out with these Pharisees. They're having dinner, and he begins to tell them this parable, this, this story with a point. And he says, let's imagine... That somebody is throwing a big party, and they're getting all the preparations done, and it finally comes time for the, all the uh, invitees to come in, and he goes to each one of the people that he invited to come to his party, and each one just gives this lame excuse. Goes to the first one, and he says, well, you know, I just bought a piece of property. I need to go in. I need to look at it. And the second guy says, oh, I just bought some oxen, and I need to make sure that they're getting to work. And the last guy says, oh, I forgot I was getting married. I just got married. And the wife says, I can't come out and play, and so I, you know, I can't come to your party. And so each person gives him this lame excuse. And so the party host gets angry and he sends his servant out. And he says this in Luke 14, 21. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. He says, look, I've got a party. And so we are going to, whoever, I don't care how many people we have to invite, we are going to fill the seats of this party because I want to make sure, and you're going to see in a moment, I want to make sure that anyone who wants to experience and be a part of this party is here. So the servant goes out, and he invites these people, and they come in, and the party starts to fill up a little bit, but he's still got seats left. He's still got people that he can invite into the party, and so here's what he says next. Uh, he says this, he says, well then uh, go out into the roads, and the country, and the lanes and." Compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. See this word here, compel. Have you ever tried to compel someone to do something? So when my uh, when my middle son was um, was about two years old, Amy and I somehow I still blame him for this got locked out of the house, and he was inside. And so we're standing at the glass door. He's in his diapers watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. And we're knocking, and we're just going, let us in. And he's just giggling. He thinks this is the best game ever. And we're going, please open the door. I know you know how to open the door. Just come over here. We'll try to explain it. We'll do sign language. I don't care what it takes. Please, please, please let us in. By the way, it didn't happen. We had to call a locksmith. But... I think that's what it looks like to to compel someone. Please, you have to. You got to experience this. You need to. I understand you're not religious. I understand you had a bad church experience in the past. I understand all of those things. But you have to hear about this Jesus. You just got to. I think that's what it looks like when he says that we're supposed to compel people to come in, whether it's come into this room and just experience what we do here, whether it's to come into a relationship with Jesus, but I want to, to compel them to take their next steps, invite them to be a part of this, and here's why. Because Jesus wants his house to be full. He wants his house here to be full. He wants his house in, in heaven one day to be full as well. His, his desire is that any and everyone who will say yes to him will come. He wants his house. He doesn't want every, anybody to be left out in the cold. He says, I want my house to be full. And so our job is to get out and to invite people to come in. I was meeting with another uh, Seacoaster this week, and we were meeting about something totally unrelated. We were meeting about some, some business stuff, and I said, How did you end up coming to Seacoast? He said, You know, I knew you were going to ask me that question. And so he began to tell me his story of how he came to Seacoast and kind of his life previous to it. And, and by the end of it, I said, hold right there. I'll be right back. And I walk down the hall. I go to our creative department. I say, do we have someone who can film really quick? <laughs> I go back in. I go, hey, you don't mind if I just film you telling that story again? And he's like, what? <laughs> I just came to hang out. And He's like, yeah, we don't just hang out around here. Okay, we got work to do. And so I get him in front of the camera and I say, just tell us your story real quick. And here it is.
3: I truly believe that if I hadn't come back to the church. Um, specifically found this church that today I don't think I would be sober I don't think I would have the family I have today I don't think I would have the business I have today uh, when I was a senior in high school uh, my parents got divorced um, it really sent my life um, into a uh, into a tailspin I guess um, and quickly developed um, you know an addiction for drugs and alcohol in New Year's of 2009 uh, they found my body in an alley in downtown La... Downtown Long Beach on New Year's Eve. I was in a coma for four days, and uh, because of the brain swelling, they told my parents that, uh, you know, it was pretty much time to pull the plugs. That, you know, there was no, uh, there was no recovering from this. The morning before they were going to pull the plugs, I woke up ripping tubes out of my throat. From there, uh, you know, I, I, I tried to get sober. It didn't work. Soon enough, I was in a position where I had lost everything, and um, I was in a really bad spot just in the bed and, and had nowhere to go, it didn't have any fight left, no energy and I asked God just please you know give me a sign. Within minutes my phone rang and my aunt called and she says hey you're coming out to the Salton Sea. So I went out there um, sobered up. Um, I ended up coming back to Long Beach after about 10 days. You know I was laying in my apartment one day and you know just asked God you know what's next and you know how do I continue to stay sober and um, I woke up that Sunday morning and I came to Seacoast. The message was a message of hope, and that's really what kept me coming back. I met my wife um, shortly thereafter. You know, she's the one with the big heart, and she really uh, convinced me into you know getting involved. That we need to get involved in the church, and you know, we actually started taking the financial class here. Then we took the uh, we took a premarital class here. Then we had our premarital counseling here. Um, And then we entered a Rooted group when they brought along the Rooted series and really got us connected with some good people that we've made really good friendships with. Fast forward to today, we have two beautiful kids. You know, we're very involved in the church here. Um, This church has really saved my life. It's crazy to think that if I wasn't invited here nine years ago to to, uh, CR that one night, that I would have never found this church and I would have never had any of this in my life.
0: So you never know what's hanging in the balance of a simple invitation. Who would have thought that he would have gotten invited to Seacoast and he would come, he would sit here, he would hear the message, and what his life would end up becoming is he's married, kids, very successful business, been sober, and it all started with a simple invitation. And so there's this, there's this old saying that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. And it's because it's a place where people can come and they can find healing and hope and eventually salvation. And as I was about to speak last weekend and I was coming on the stage and I was kind of over in the wing and I was looking at everybody and they're worshiping, I thought, you know, if we're a hospital, then these seats are kind of like hospital beds, right? And so someone who comes in here like Bobby and sits there, this is the hospital bed where he found his life got turned around. And so it's not like we have a lack of hospital beds around here. And it's not as if we have a lack of people who are hurting outside these very doors. Because we understand that there's an epidemic of loneliness and depression and addiction and broken families. And there are people dying every single day who don't know Jesus. It is not a lack of opportunity. There's not a lack of people who need hospital beds. Really, the only thing that is keeping us from filling these beds is, if, are we going to decide, are we going to go out and compel people to come in And to fill this house, so that one day heaven may be full as well. And so, here's what I want to end with. Is I want to end with you just maybe imagining what this year could look like for you. My wife is making me, I say making me, watch a Disney series called Imagineering. And it's, it's pretty interesting, actually, because these people, they're the people who created Disneyland and Disney World, and, and they created many of the things that um, our kids and even we as adults love, and, and it's really because they were challenged to dream big. Really, dream just audacious, crazy, huge dreams, and they did. And I think, well, if Jesus changes everything, what is keeping us from dreaming big this year? What could our 2020 look like? If we're sitting in these seats at the end of the year and we dream big that Jesus changes something, what could he change this year? Maybe it's just a habit. It's a habit or it's a hurt that we just need to find hope and healing and redemption from. And it feels like it's never gonna change and it's always gonna be the same. And, but if Jesus changes everything, he could change that. Or what if it's this? What if it's not a what, but a who? What if it's at the end of this year, you're imagining this prodigal, this person who is sitting next to you, worshiping alongside of you, who you thought would never step through these doors. Can you imagine what that might feel like? Oh, well, if it's up to us, you're right. It's not gonna happen. But remember, he says he's gonna walk with us, that he's gonna empower us, that he's gonna guide us. And so if Jesus changes everything, what are we dreaming this year that he's gonna change? And here's the deal. It's gonna take some work. Jesus says that he will walk alongside us, that he wants us to partner with him in doing this. And so it means that we're going to have to keep this mission on our mind this coming year. And that's part of the reason why we do these silly little things like bracelets and backgrounds is because we want you to be reminded that you have to be focused on the mission this coming year. And so as you look at these bracelets and you look at these backgrounds, I hope it's a reminder that wherever your story is, whatever's going on, whatever you're facing, Jesus can still change that. He's done it before, and he can do it again. And he also can use you to change somebody else's story. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for, for the change that you have brought into many of our lives as we reflect on stories, stories like Bobby's, and we just see that you have, have really turned his world upside down. That, that is reflected in so many other stories, Lord God. That So many of us, we, we have a life that we know we don't deserve, and it's because you have you've changed our story. And Lord God, we also know that there are so many people right outside these doors. They're part of our family. They're our friends, coworkers, neighbors. Their stories need to be changed, and we're the one that can connect them with the person who can change their story. And so Lord God, as we head out of here, I pray that you would empower us, that you would give us guidance, that you would give us opportunity to not only change ourselves, but be the people who bring change into this community. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.